Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. So for the first time, Libby and I get to do a podcast together. We're very excited. We've never met in person, but we are best buds. We are. I've realized that we've introduced our guests for each podcast, but I've never introduced ourselves to our Trial Trends audience. Allow me the honor of introducing my fabulous co-host, Libby Rickenbacher. Libby is the Director of Strategy at 4G Clinical and has over 15 years of experience in the life sciences. Libby started her career in academia and holds a PhD in neuroscience. During her time in the clinical trial industry, she has applied her expertise in experiment and solution conceptualization to e-clinical solution design and innovation. As part of the 4G strategy team, she spends much of her time assessing industry trends and new technologies in search of potential product opportunities, collaborations, and partnerships. What Libby loves most is discussing trends and presenting new ideas at industry events. And a fun fact, her happy place is the great outdoors, whether hiking or in the garden. Libby, do you mind telling our listeners a little about me? I would absolutely love to. Kathleen, or KG as we all know her, is the VP of Commercial Operations at 4G Clinical and was one of the first hires back when 4G was founded. 4G has hugely benefited from her decade and a half of experience at a major biotech company where she specialized in the adoption of clinical operations software and was a frequent speaker at industry events. As a leader on the commercial team, KG spends much of her time talking to clients and engineering solutions. She is fascinated by the science behind clinical research and totally geeks out when presented with hugely complex protocols. And a fun fact, in her free time, she blows off steam as a choral singer. She's amazing. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast we've done so far, kind of what we've done in 2021. What kind of trends did we see? What kind of progress have we seen in different fronts? And then start talking about what's going forward, you know, what we're going to talk about next. This past year has been crazy for all of us and for the industry as a whole. It's caused a spotlight to be on all of us. We've been getting questions from all of our friends and families of what's going on for the first time in my life. People know what I do. I don't have to go back to basics to say, what do you do exactly? People get it now. And that also brings a lot of criticism, that spotlight that has been shined on us. It really makes us think more about what we do because explaining it to new eyes means that we're kind of thinking from the start as well. What do we do? What is the purpose of what we're doing? And I think what we've learned over the past year is that we really need to put the patient in the center of everything. And that's why we wanted to talk a little bit and during this episode about what we've seen in the past year and what we think we're going to see in the next year. What sort of trends are we going to want to follow and learn about that will help us to put the patient in the center of everything and make sure that we can get therapies to them as quickly as possible? I really love what you said about putting the patient in the middle. They're empowered. They know what they want. They know more or less how they want it because there's really interesting options because there's a lot of solutions out there. So things have really changed because the patient voice is getting louder. Which is wonderful. Everyone's thrilled about that. We just need to make sure that we're supporting it and not just saying we're patient-centric, but are we actually doing it? And I know there's been a lot of talk at conferences this year that you've gone to about decentralized trial. And is that the way to really put the patient first, put the patient in the middle of the trial? So it's not about the sites, it's about the patients. Is that something that you would say that that's been a really hot topic? Oh, goodness, yes. I think 
we just saw this swinging of a pendulum in the direction of virtual trials. Everybody's talking about virtual trials. And what we were, I think, seeing now in 2021 versus that extreme that we were seeing in 2020 is that we're seeing more tendencies towards the conversations of hybrid trials. And what that means is aspects of trials becoming virtual. So maybe telehealth, that type of benefit to the site and the patient at the center, being able to get what they need in terms of care. But that's often more appreciated by the younger crowds rather than the older patients that we're seeing. So it's definitely a difference in therapeutic area, in terms of generational gaps, in terms of regionality. There's definitely differences, but DCT, decentralization of different aspects of a trial, it's certainly here to stay. Yeah. And it's really indication specific from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some indications where if you're having dialysis, you're not going to do that at home. You have to go to a center for that. But for things like that are oral therapies, it seems to be a lot more popular. So, but in general, I agree with you. Telehealth has become a lot more normal. And a lot more insurance companies are covering telehealth who didn't before. It's being seen as an adequate way of providing oversight. Because that's something I've always heard is that patients need to come into the site because you need to see them. You need to know how they're doing. And doctors are trained to look at specific things like neurologists are looking to see how quickly you're blinking, things like that. So having the patient in front of you is really important. But I think we've seen that you can do that with FaceTime. Absolutely. I mean, FaceTime back to that hybrid piece, you have the FaceTime component of what you can do with telehealth. There's so many different technologies that allow you to look at skin conditions and see how treatments are responding. So you have the technology aspect, you have the telehealth aspect, you have the home nursing aspect. So maybe the trial is sending actual nurses home that can then report out back to the site. And then of course, I don't think any company that is promoting DCT. So these DCT specific companies want to get rid of sites. Those sites are important. And I think that we're seeing in 2021 is that, again, back to the pendulum, it's swinging back towards the middle, right? We're seeing this hybrid approach based on where the patients are in their visit schedule, right? So maybe there's a critical injection or some kind of intervention that has to happen at the site. But thereafter, they can be seen and treated from home. And there's a lot of different ways and technologies that we're seeing that do support that. And that really helps with recruitment and retention. You know, if it's five hours for a patient to get to a site, they only have to do it every six months. That's a lot easier for them. But I think if you think of like what a clinical trial is made up of, it's basically a a protocol and then the therapy, the IMP that you're giving to them. So I think the supply side of it is a huge component of how do you actually make decentralized trials work? If it's an observational study, suddenly it's a lot easier, right? But if you have interventional therapy, how do you get that to the patient home? And I think that's where the technology is starting to catch up now of being able to ship to a patient home directly from a depot or even from the site itself. I think that's such a great point in that we're seeing, yeah, we can get drugs to anywhere where they need to go, we can track them. There's different modes of tracking, of course, and we'll get into some of the trends that we're going to see for 2022. But in terms of real-time tracking and what's available there, we're seeing glimmers of you know, this really interesting new frontier. But when we're talking about getting 
drugs to the patient home. That that IP, what's happening there, right? So now we're talking about a whole new frontier as well Mm -hmm. when it comes to regulation, storage, compliance, accountability, everything around that drug. So it, it really is a new frontier with a lot of questions surrounding it that Well, DCT in itself doesn't really speak to many of them. It's about what's coming up in terms of solutions, technology solutions and innovation that hopefully we're going to see very soon. And the regulations, I think, are going to have to... We're starting to see some new guidance from regulators of how this is going to be handled because I don't think that there's an intention to ever have a patient home be treated just like a, a site is treated right now as far as inventory management. So I think There have been some regulatory guidance released, hasn't there, about how decentralized trials should function? Yeah, and I agree with you. I don't think any regulatory body is really looking at shutting down something that's working. And that's now back to our, you know, previous comments. Patients love it. Sites and sponsors love it because they can get more patients on trial, keep them on trial, keep them happier. But to your point about the regulations, yeah, the Sweden and Denmark both have come out with, they're usually very quick with these things. They are providing a lot of guidance for the world, really. They've provided output that has been discussed even this year at different conferences, and they're kind of a guiding light towards maybe what we can expect in the future and maybe how protocols need to be designed. Because really, how we design our protocols and what is something that will be able to be assessed for that regulatory approval is really up and coming and will set the bar for how DCT is considered in upcoming trials. And you ran a survey recently that you shared with me, which was very interesting (laughs) of talking about the barriers to decentralized trials from sponsors and CROs. And what really struck me was that the sponsors see a lot more barriers than CROs do. And I don't know if that's because CROs are closer to it and they see how it could actually function, whereas it's more of a black box to a sponsor. But the, one of the main components that your survey showed was that protocol complexity is something that sponsors see as a main barrier. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting survey. And I, I'm kind of blown away with the, the response and some of the outputs, including what you just referenced in that, yeah, the sponsors, it seems, well, they see less trials as NSERO. Of course, they see less trials, so they're sure. going to have less input, but that that protocol complexity, those protocols are, re, they put so much time and effort into them. And again, it's their skin, right? In, in th- this game that they need to get that regulatory approval and not knowing whether or not something they design is going to pass is a huge problem. So of course, I think it makes sense that a sponsor is more concerned with protocol complexity and regulations and maybe also how technology can help in a lot of what we can conceive you know uh, going forward with these modern trials you have more complexity and then translating that into the software that is able to support these trials but then also the D- DCT component where it's not just software it's individuals at the end of that software the end users that have to adopt it and have to make the patients feel like they're in a real, you know, trial at the site is is something else. It's a different type of feeling to a trial. So I think it makes sense to see that the sponsors are a little bit more reticent than the the CROs. I think so too. And something that comes up every now and then when I'm talking to clients is how much does it cost for the shipping? Is this going to be a lot more expensive to ship to a patient home? Well, yeah, your shipment costs are going to be a lot higher. 
And then also, is there the technology there to make sure that it's going to actually work well? And am I going to get all the information I need for all of these shipments? You know, a shipment to a site, okay, we do that all the time. We're comfortable with that. We know what the process is and things still go wrong. What if you explode the number of shipments to (laughs) include patient homes and a lot more people who haven't been trained on receiving shipments properly? How do you get the technology to kind of step in to do the receipt for them? You know, how can we make it more like I know my Amazon package arrived because I can see that GPS tracker said it arrived and I know that (laughs) it's there. How do we take that burden away from the patient's? And I mean, that would eventually help the sites too, so that they don't have to worry too much about the 15 different ways to receive a shipment. How do you normalize that into a process that anybody can do and the technology fills in a lot of the gaps? That's a great question. And there's not a single answer to that. We know. (laughs) I know. I feel like I'm just raising questions, (laughs) interrogating you. (laughs) Well, I know. I think this is a really good point. And I think so many discussions have come out of this, these questions, right? So So back to the survey, one thing that we know is that sites this year have felt like they're doing a lot more logistical work than they usually would. And it's because of what you just described. They're having to raise and make sure that these shipments to those patient homes are safe, packaged appropriately, and they get off in a way that is safe. And now the steps that I just described there are technologies that can step in and start to answer some of those questions and kind of ease the pain and the logistical nightmare that the sites really have had. So our logistics providers that we're partnering with and some of the technology in terms of the drug trackers and loggers that we know are on the market, that makes a huge difference because tighter partnerships and integrations will make a huge difference for all of the reasons that we just discussed. And at the end of the day, your question was about cost. And depending on how the trial is run, again, it will depend on therapeutic area. It will depend on the type of IP we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I would not say that the costs are going to skyrocket. We haven't seen that. We have seen a differential response in terms of cost increases based on therapeutic areas, regionality. You keep patients on trial. How much is that worth, right? So there's a lot to consider. That's always the hard part is finding the patients and keeping them until you get to the point you need to in your protocol and making sure that they're seeing benefit from it. Yeah. And that's where I see, you know, decentralized trials to me are so exciting because of that. Just the idea of not having to have patients travel as far and being able to participate in studies that are happening in different, totally different regions, you know, how you can really extend how many people you're helping with your therapies with decentralized trials. Yeah, it's complete symbiosis. You get the patients you need and they get the treatment they need, but wouldn't usually have access to. So it's right. it's fantastic. So as far as technological advancements, we've talked a lot in the past year in our trial trans episodes of different aspects of decentralized trials. We talked about blockchain, of how you could potentially have a more complicated supply chain but still talking to each other through a more distributed network like a blockchain rather than point to point. So I think there are definitely a lot of technologies out there that we're starting to see take root that could help us to make sure that we do have the oversight necessary for clinical trials. I think one of the other things your survey said was that DCT is becoming a more standard consideration when they're thinking about setting up clinical trials. 
That is yeah, really 70 good. plus percent. It's the big percentage, right? It's it, We can't ignore it. I don't think anybody thinks that we're going to go back to pre-COVID type considerations, right? There's a lot more that we have to consider for each trial and DCT is here to stay. Absolutely. Yeah. And you did say that we are swinging a little bit back. And I've also seen that at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was super interested in direct to patient and getting things shipped to the patient home. And I think it's kind of swung back a little bit from that. People are being a little bit more conservative about how they think, but they still want to have the concept of decentralized trials baked into their protocols, the ability to be able to ship to patient homes, even if they don't need to do it all the time, just having it kind of in there. But I think there has been a sea change in how people are thinking about decentralized trials and starting to plan for it. Yeah, I think if we put ourselves back into just our bodies in March, 2020, we were terrified. Everyone was absolutely terrified. We didn't know how the virus was going to respond. We didn't know what was possible. Now we know much more about what is around us. And I think that has driven more confidence in some of these choices, these choices that we're seeing for technology and how we can best provide the care to the patients that we, of course, are supporting in these trials. So I think we're calibrating right now. It's not necessarily about anything else. The calibration is, again, back to what we were saying before, it's going to be dependent on the type of trial, which is a luxury, right? We have a lot to choose from. There are options and the patients know this, the sites know this, the sponsors know this. So it's a really nice time to be able to choose between different aspects of the trial that you want to to add to the protocol. And I think that's, that's a really good point because you think of the process of writing a protocol that happens long, long before any technology gets chosen. So in the minds of the medical directors who are coming up with these protocols, I think what's changing is that they're starting to see that the technology is giving them a lot more options. And I think you have to kind of prove out the technology first in order for the protocol that's being considered 18 months from now to be considered in a different way. I think it's something that we're going to see more and more over time because we've had to prove out that it works before the very beginning of the process could begin Mm -hmm. to evolve. Would you agree that that's something that we'll start to see changes? There's a lag between when proving that we can do it and then starting to see studies that are taking advantage of it? Yes. And I would say that we did see a catalyst for the adoption of new technologies rather than sweet solutions, really best in breed technologies that really can deliver on certain aspects of trials, which is the perfect segue into what's going to happen in 2022. What are we predicting? What are we getting ready for? It's exactly this, the new technologies, the communications between them, and what we need to be ready for, really, to support those trials that we know are more and more complex than they've ever been before. They're more like three or four trials in one rather than just one simple trial. Absolutely. And these systems can handle it. And it cuts down on a lot of money. It cuts down on a lot of back and forth. It's something that it's a new era of clinical trial. And it definitely received a push forward with the pandemic because of the highlight on these technologies. Do you know, that's probably the main thing that I hear from clients is how do I make changes after study go live? How quickly can you adapt to the new science, the new information I've gotten from my study thus far? How can we add cohorts? How can we change which treatment arms are being applied? 
there's a lot that's happening as far as making sure the patients are getting the best care possible in the middle of a study before you really have a ton of results and that you're being responsive to the patient needs. I think that's something that I've been seeing lately is that the technology has caught up to that, that Mm -hmm. it's allowing sponsors to really let the science lead and follow whatever results they're seeing and make adjustments midstream. I think it's necessary. You have to do that. Like you said, there are a lot of studies that have like basically five or six sub-studies within one protocol. It's a master protocol (laughs) with all these little studies in it. Yeah, that's absolutely what we're seeing. And when we look at the type of studies that are now up and coming with cell and gene, it's the same conversation. It's Ah, about flexibility. Cell and gene, yeah. Yeah, if you want to talk about complex. Yeah, Yeah. well, it's true. It's, it's, again, another area that we're seeing a lot of growth and that's going to need those considerations of flexibility and logistical management between systems, right? This is something new. We're really in a new era where we have personalized medicine. How do we support that? How do we scale it? How can we be part of that conversation and the solution? And it all goes back to having those technologies that can respond to a moment's notice or a new cohort that needs to be added because really great results came in or didn't come in. Maybe let's reformat something. We can help, right? It's a fantastic place to be. Yeah, I love the whole topic of cell and gene therapy. Like I mentioned earlier how I get a lot of questions over the dinner table from friends and family of... (laughs) What is a clinical trial? And they get it a lot better. And the first time you explain monoclonal antibodies to people, the way their jaws drop. I'm like, Mono what? What? <laughs> what? You mean the cells do what? And they produce what? So it's fascinating when you really get into the science of it. But cell and gene therapy just blows my mind. The idea of what mm-hmm. these therapies can do. It just disease modifying rather than treatment. It's, it's incredibly thrilling. And you talk to people, there's a lot of interest in the world, you know, so many technologies that people, now that they're a little bit more versed in the sort of work that happens in life sciences, they get it. They understand. And I think there's a, a lot of excitement around cell and gene therapy that we didn't see two years ago because mm-hmm. of this education of the general public. So mm-hmm. how do we get there? Because you're right, this is complicated. This is very complicated. The supply chain in particular for cell and gene therapy studies. No, it's it's really interesting. I absolutely agree that people, after having so much on their televisions and on social media about mRNA, what does that mean? Oh, is this changing my DNA? These questions that really at the beginning were a bit confusing for some. And now we're talking about personalized medicine and what, again, what's happening, who's donating these cells, where are they coming from, myself, others. Oh my gosh, it's becoming a gold standard, right? It's really changing the way we treat patients. And again, to your question, how do we help with that supply chain that requires so much end-to-end oversight and logistical monitoring that we, right now, let's be honest, there's a lot lacking. It's doing very well for itself. It's it's growing in terms of as an industry, but in terms of scaling, there's definitely some improvements and general process changes that are needed. I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that just because we don't have everything in place yet. And that's where these technology innovations really do need to pick up. And they are, but there are challenges because of the scaling and the products necessary to scale, right? So it's very interesting. It really is. So do you think that that's going to be a subject of our podcast in 2022? (laughs) I do think so. (laughs) It really should be, right? It's a clinical trial. It's just not what we think of as the cookie cutter clinical trial. It's a very different 
experience than getting a vial and coming back every two weeks. It's a right. very, very different conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was another thing you had in your survey was what are the trends that we're looking forward to in 2022? And we already talked about direct-to-patient and decentralized trials. That's definitely up on the list. Cell and gene therapy is on the list too. That's something that a lot of us are seeing as the next big thing that we need to be ready for. One of the other things was digital transformation, which we haven't touched on too much yet. So that's something that I think we'll be talking about next year as well of how did we get all this information into an area that allows us to make decisions? You know, how do we get everything pulled together so that you have a data lake, a data warehouse, anything that gathers all that information from a lot of different spaces and puts it into a format that you can say, oh, I need to go to this site and make this update, or I need to reach out to that patient because they're struggling with this. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that everyone has always wanted to do that. And we've been working for at least as long as I've been in the industry to try to get that decision-making information in front of the people who are making the decisions. I think there's an acceleration of that now, though, especially with some of the new technologies out there of being able to integrate. You expect in the 21st century that systems are going to be able to talk to each other easily. Yes, I couldn't agree more, right? What we're going to see is definitely, I mean, when we're in conversations with any type of sponsor or partnership opportunity with a vendor, API calls and what we're doing in terms of integrations, that's almost, it needs to be a given now. We Mm -hmm. can't survive in the way that we used to. And you mentioned blockchain before and now data management and reporting and the security around that data. These are all conversations that really with the state of the world and cybersecurity and how data is used and reported, that this is all a consideration which really is I would say upfront and center in what we're doing just because of the sensitive nature of the information and also how important and valuable it is, not just to the patient as is this secure, is this, what is this, but also to the sponsor, trying to get that medicine approved and into the mainstream and helping people as soon as possible. It's fascinating, all the technology. I always get a little retrospective at the end of the year anyway. And I think Everyone has become more introspective over the past year of what really is important to us, not just with clinical trials and putting the patient first, but in our lives in general. So it's a good time of year to think back on everything we've seen so far. And I'm so excited about what we have to look forward to next year, all the technologies, all the new therapies coming out and the ways that we can get these to patients faster. I completely agree with what you're saying. And to be part of that, I think we can be so proud of what we're really trying to assess in research and try to stay ahead. Really, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we support where we're going and where others are going and and really put that patient first. Well, 2021 has been a roller coaster of a year, and we are extremely excited to discuss the evolving trends in the clinical space during our future episodes of Trial Trends. We hope to see you here. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker. <laughs>